invite you to. Amen. Invite you to open your Bibles to First Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one. Got a surprise for you this morning. Would you believe that under someone's seat this morning there's a crisp one hundred dollar bill? Nobody's even looking. April Fools. I've already trained my family. If I ever say to my family, would you believe? They know I'm not about to tell the truth. And they'll say, Daddy, you lied. I said, I didn't lie. I just asked if you believe it. Right? It's not a lie if you just said, would you believe that? What is it about April Fools? As soon as I found out, Howard told me last last Easter, next year it's on April the 1st. And immediately, the first verse that popped in my mind was, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I've dubbed this National Atheist Day. If you don't believe in God, this is your day because you're a fool. That's what the Bible says. Have you pulled any April Fool's jokes yet? Am I giving you any ideas? You're planning to pull one later, right? (laughs) One of my favorites that I heard about this week was from Taco Bell back in the 90s. They put out a press release that said, Taco Bell has purchased the Liberty Bell. And they're renaming it the Taco Liberty Bell. And there was this public outcry. We can't believe it. This is sacrilege. And they finally had to come out and say, April Fool's. So why is it one day a year you can tell the biggest whoppers and it doesn't matter because you've got an out? April Fool's. Well, what I want to share with you this morning is about foolishness. And it's April the 1st. But I hope before you leave here today, you're not taking the foolish choice. Let's look at Paul's letter to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 18 and following. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not Many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised, God has chosen. The things that are not, so that He may nullify the things that are. So that no man may boast before God. But by His doing you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, 
so that it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Don't say this out loud, but fill in the blank. The word of the cross is. What is it for you? The word of the cross is. Paul said to some people, it's foolish. The word literally means silly or absurd. There's some people that hear the gospel message of the cross, and they hear it, and they say, I can't accept that. Well, what's the message they hear? I love the book of Acts. Several times in the book of Acts, you hear a short sermon. Acts chapter 2, Peter speaks. And his sermon is really simple. He says, God loved you so much that he sent Jesus. You crucified him on a cross. He rose from the dead. You should trust him for eternal life. That's essentially what about three or four times during the book of Acts is this simple message. So this morning, here's the message of the cross. Jesus, born as an infant, born to a virgin Mary, lived a perfect, sinless life. He was baptized at the age of 30. He had a public ministry of a little over three years. He told people that he would die, that he would suffer, be crucified on a cross. But he also told them he would rise from the dead. That's exactly what he did. That's the message of the cross. And there's some people in Paul's day and there's some people in our day that say that's absurd. That's silly. Let's just think about our day. There's people that you're friends with, that you go to school with, that you work among, maybe even some of your own family. When you tell them, I've trusted Christ as my Lord and Savior, and they said, you did what? What does that mean? Well, it means that I've placed my faith in a Savior that died on the cross in my place. But He didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And people will look at you like you just sprouted a third eye in the middle of your forehead. Have you ever experienced that? It's because it's still true. The word of the cross is to some foolishness. They have heard the message that is true and they can't accept it. They've got the book of instructions. They've got the Bible that tells you about the cross, about the resurrection. And they won't accept it. Ladies, it's like some of your husbands who won't follow directions. Anybody married to someone like that? My wife's in the nursery, so she can't raise her hand right now. But if she could, she'd raise my, her hand. I used to have a code of the road. I've started breaking it a little bit. And with GPS, it helps. But I always said, real men don't ask directions. If you're traveling somewhere, I mean, it's just they'll take your man card if you pull in and ask directions at the convenience store. That's why women, that we, if we ever have to do it, we pull up so you're on, it's on your side to get out and go in and ask directions. Because if we go in, they just laugh at us. great example of this was we bought a swing set for our kids when they were younger. And that swing set came with a book of instructions. I'm just looking at that. Who's got time to read this? On the box it said, Easy to complete in 90 minutes. I thought, I'm doing it in under an hour. Three hours later, I had screws and nuts and bolts that were, I thought I had it put together. I had stuff left over. I don't think it's supposed to work that way. I was still trying to insert tab A into slot B. Why? Because I didn't follow the directions. Because I looked at it and said, this is silly. It's a swing set. I, I kind of know the general shape this is supposed to take at the end. Why do we do that? It's because we use human wisdom, and it's worse when we do that to spiritual things. And so when Paul says the word of the cross is to those who are perishing foolishness, that's what he's talking about. 
and the generation we live in, people don't mind you talking about Easter as long as it just contains egg hunts and parades and spring wardrobe. But when you try to get past the veneer and the facade of what the world accepts for Easter and say, oh no, it's more than that. It's more than putting brightly colored eggs in trees and having a bunny in your front yard. It is about Jesus who died on the cross and rose on the third day, paying the penalty for death, but conquering death and the grave. That gives me hope. Paul says, it's written, this is God speaking, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, literally, who are being utterly destroyed. And that's who Jesus came to save, right? John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believed in Him would not... Thank you for playing along. For not per- would not perish. So the very ones that are perishing are the ones who look at the message of hope and say, I can't accept that. It's foolish. It's absurd. But look what God says. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. He uses the same word for destroy that He used for perish. Same word. He basically says... For those of you that are perishing, let me tell you something. I'm going to perish the wisdom of the wise. You think you've got it all put together? You think you've got it all figured out? You think you're God? I'm going to perish that thought. And I will set aside the cleverness of the clever. Man's wisdom always seeks to elevate itself above God. Here you've got God who created the universe... And here you've got us who created nothing. And we're kind of looking at God thinking, I got this. I think I'm smarter than you. I know what you've said, but I think I'll do it my own way. That's absurd. And he says he will set aside the cleverness of the clever. Cleverness really means a mental putting together. So Paul's writing to a group of people. He's saying, some of you think you've got it mentally put together. God is setting that aside. It literally would be like you going to the grocery store and picking up some kind of fruit and turning it in your hands and saying, "Uh, I'm not buying that. You set it aside. Hoping what? Somebody else will buy it. You look at the bananas. You look at the apples. You set aside the ones you don't want. That's what God's doing. God's looking at the cleverness of the clever, and he's setting it aside because it's unacceptable. And then he asks the question, where is the wise man? The two groups of people that he talks to here, and you need to understand this to understand some of his words. Two groups of people. One are the Jews. The Jews were the people who needed a sign. We'll talk about that in a minute. They were the ones who just, just give me the facts and give me the sign. Give me proof. The Greeks were the debaters. The Greeks were the ones that were really into knowledge. They were the ones that loved just hearing new philosophies and new ideas. It, they may not believe it, but they just enjoyed hearing about it. And so Paul says, where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Wise men would refer to the Greeks. Scribe would refer to the Jews. These were the legal authorities in the Jewish faith. Where is the debater of this age? Greeks love to debate. And when you hear the word Greek, he's talking about everybody that's not a Jew, essentially. He's talking about the Gentiles. He's talking about us. Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of the world? Because through its wisdom, it didn't come to know God. Everything that man did and everything that man is now doing cannot get to know God. You can build a tower and call it Babel. You can live 
as good a life as you possibly can, none of that reaches God. And there's good news. We don't have to reach Him. He's reached down to us through the person of Jesus Christ. So the foolishness of the world we need to avoid. But let's look at the wisdom of God. To those who are perishing, it's foolish. But to those of us, Paul includes himself in this number, and hopefully most of the people he's writing to in Corinth, to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And I love the word power. Look at this dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite from. And that's where we ought to feel at Easter. Like somebody has lit a fuse and an explosion has taken place. That ought to excite us. And I'll be honest, there's times in church I kind of wish I had like a button up here for people that just aren't getting excited enough about the gospel. I just go, give them a little jolt. See some movement out of you of something, you know. The other thing I've always wanted was like um, escalator pews. So when people come and sit on the back, I could just move them to the front. That hadn't, or, or aisles, you know, if you give an invitation, just have moving sidewalks. Just take that first step. <laughs> But it ought to excite you because it's the power of God. This is God Almighty who's able to do incredible things. And he's saying the cross is where I did the most powerful thing in the history of the world. Jesus paid the penalty for your sins so that you could know God. And he didn't just stay there. He rose from the dead. And so Paul says God was well pleased. I love that. Literally, God approved this. He disapproved of the wisdom of the world. God approved this. What did he approve? That through the foolishness of the message preached, he will save those who believe. Folks, that's good news. Here's what Paul's saying. Through the simple and at times sounding foolish message, that simple message of a crucified Savior risen from the dead, who's now at the right hand of the Father, who's coming again, and because you place your faith in him, you can have eternal life. You can be forgiven and be right with God. Paul said, because of that message, those who said, yes, I believe that, you're saved. You're delivered. You're protected. You've completed John 3.16. You're not perishing anymore. You're now one of those who are being saved. He said, indeed, the Jews asked for signs. Hadn't they done that the entire time that Christ was around? Just give us a sign. Even when he's on the cross, what were they saying? If you are the Son of God, do what? Prove it. Come down off the cross. Prove it. Here's the problem with that. They had seen signs. By this time, they had not only seen the sign of the crucifixion, they had seen Jesus risen from the dead. They had heard about it from eyewitness accounts. On one occasion, over 500 people saw him walking around after he had been crucified. They had signs. You could have given them blinking neon lights and they weren't going to trust Christ. Why? Because their heart was cold. And they looked at the simplicity of the gospel and said, that's absurd. That's silliness. That's foolish. I won't accept it. That was the Jews. The Greeks searched for wisdom. They had heard it. It just didn't add up for them. God didn't fit in their box. The Greeks had finally said, you know what? As long as you can contain it in here, we'll accept it. God won't fit in your box. God is boxless. Because He's God. And if you're still looking for a sign, 
If you're still looking for wisdom, you've missed it because it's already come. But we preach Christ crucified. I love, what, what a great line. Here's Paul. I, I get it. Some people aren't going to accept this message. Some people look at me like I'm foolish. Some people look at me like I'm absurd. But Paul says, I don't care. We preach Christ crucified. We're not going to sanitize the gospel. And so we just accept the fact that he rose from the dead. You've got to accept the fact he died on a cross in your place. Why? Because the penalty for sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so he said, we preach Christ crucified. Here's the problem. Every time Paul preached that, it was like he was slapping them in the face. And they couldn't accept it. In fact, he said to the Jews, it's a stumbling block. This literally means a trap stick. This literally means you have gone and bent a sapling over, attached a rope to it, put some fruit or meat on the ground, and as soon as that animal gets in there, boom, trap springs, he's caught. For the Jews, that's what it was. It was a stumbling block. You ever tripped over something in the dark? Why do we trip over stuff in the dark? Because you can't see in the dark. Where's Jeff Whittington? Jeff. Jeff's got a skin-up nose. I found out because he's walking through a house the other night, tripped over a box of nails because it was dark. You mind me? We're still friends, right? <laughs> I've done that with Mr. Potato Head in the, in the family room. You get up in the middle of the night and go to the restroom, and you think, I don't need to turn the lights on. Women, y'all probably don't do this, but men, we're like, I got this. You walk through, and you step on some child's toy, and then you're standing there doing this number, or you hit your little toe on the rocking chair. And tears come to your eye. Why do we forget that the next time? But that's what the Jews have been doing. The cross is right in front of them. The truth is right in front of them. And they trip over it because they liked walking in the darkness. If they'd flip the light on, they could see the cross for what it is. But they like walking in darkness. In fact, they've chosen that. To the Jews, a stumbling block. To the Gentiles, foolishness. But listen to this. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, it's the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men. I love that. Paul turns the phrase here to say, you know, even on his bad day, God's smarter than you are. Now, there's never a day God's foolish. But in the eyes of the world, there's days that God seems absurd and silly. But he's not. His weakness is stronger than man. So what that says, men, no matter how smart you are and no matter how strong you are, God's smarter and God's stronger. And the problem is the folks that were alive and saw the crucifixion and the resurrection missed the sign. They missed the miracle. And because of that, they'll miss eternal life. So my last point is this. Which is it going to be? This is where Paul turns in verse 26 and he says, okay, consider your calling, brethren. I asked you at the beginning, finish the blank. The word of the cross is, well, is it foolish or is it the power of God? Paul says, consider your calling. Let me just remind you, Paul says, there weren't many wise according to the flesh. And so Paul's saying, hey, I'm preaching to you. There weren't many of you that could raise your hand and say, yeah, I got straight A's. 
There weren't many of you that were wise. If you could even compare yourself to the rest of the world, you're not all that smart. Not many of you mighty. Not many of you powerful. Maybe he's saying some of you are wise, some of you are powerful. Not many noble, literally well-born, of noble rank. Here's the good news. God has chosen the foolish things to shame the wise. Isn't it amazing who God chooses in Scripture to use? You go back and read the Old Testament and New Testament, and you think, who did God pick to do things like Abraham? Abraham didn't have it all put together. Abraham lied about his wife. He was afraid the other king was going to come and take his wife and kill him. So you know what he told his wife? Tell him you're my sister. Well, technically they were kind of related. How about Moses? Moses. The leader that God picked out and said, you're going to go back to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. What about Moses' life? Well, he was a murderer. He had killed a guy. And according to his own confession, apparently he didn't talk very well. Whether he stuttered or just froze up in front of people, I don't know. But he said, God, you've got the wrong guy. <laughs> what about David? King David, a man described as a man after God's own heart. What about him? He committed the sin of adultery with Bathsheba, then had her husband killed to cover it up. What about Peter? Matthew 16, Jesus lays out for them, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over to evil men. They're going to beat me. They're going to persecute me. They're ultimately going to kill me. What does Peter say? No, no, no. That will never happen. Jesus should have said, wait a minute, did I tell you this was up for a vote? This is the way it's going to be, Peter. And yet, Peter, mightily used of God, Peter, who denied Christ three times on the night he was arrested. How about the disciples, for crying out loud? You, you look at some of these occasions where toward the end of his life, Jesus sits the disciples down and says, all right, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be crucified, but I'll rise from the dead. Here's how the disciples responded. Which one of us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? <laughs> were you paying attention? Apparently not. But that's who God chooses. Aren't you glad of that? That gives me hope. Because I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree either. God has chosen the foolish things, the weak things, the ill-noble things to shame and disgrace the wise. He's chosen the base things, the despised things God has chosen. I love this. The things that are not. He has chosen to nullify the things that are. In Greek culture, to be described as being not or to be nothing was the ultimate put down. You're nothing. And that's what Paul, he uses that phrase and said, God's chosen the things that are not, the things that you would look at and say they're nothing. He has done that to nullify the things that are. And then look at what he says he's done. By his doing, you're in Christ. Why? Why is it all because of his doing? Well, I'm glad you asked that because he answers it. Because we'd boast if it was our doing. Ephesians 2. You've been saved by... This is live, y'all. You can respond. He's, you've been saved by 
grace through faith. And that not of yourselves is a gift of God. Why? Because if we could claim it, we could brag about it. Look what I've done. That's the point that Paul's making. You didn't do any of it. It's all through Christ. It's God's choosing. He's called you to Himself. And we are in Christ. Literally a fixed position of rest. Paul says because you placed your faith in Christ, you're now in Christ. And what comes with that? Here's what you receive by being in Christ. First, the wisdom from God. James puts it this way. Consider it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, that you would be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, ask from God, who gives all men generously and without reproach. Wisdom. Best definition I have for wisdom is appropriately using knowledge. Some people think they're wise. They can't even put the knowledge together and use it right. But wisdom is adequately and appropriately using the knowledge that you have. And wisdom comes from God. It's a gift also. I'm glad wisdom doesn't come through tough times. That's patience, endurance. But it's so that ultimately God wants us to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. He knows one thing you lack is wisdom. Where does that come from? God. In Christ, we have the wisdom that comes from God. The second thing we have is righteousness. Literally justification. We are made right with God. Before Christ, we're enemies of God. Because of Christ, we're now friends of God. Because of Christ, we're now justified. We're right with God. The third thing is sanctification. This is a continuing process. God is making you more like Jesus. That's why sometimes He has to discipline you. He's chiseling away anything that doesn't look like Jesus so that ultimately what's remained looks like Christ. So what comes with this? Because of God, wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and last is redemption. Literally means to buy back. You have been walking in darkness. But God has called you out of darkness. He has redeemed you. He's bought you back. What was the price to buy you back? It was the death of Jesus on the cross. And to some people that sounds silly and absurd. But to those of us who are being saved, it's the power of God. If it had been up to us to redeem ourselves, we didn't have the wherewithal. We didn't have the resources. We couldn't possibly do it. We had nothing that we could take and say, is this good enough? Because it all wouldn't have been good enough. But Jesus, in his own body, paid the price to redeem us. Just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for this passage of scripture from the Apostle Paul. And thank you for the reminder that the cross is powerful. And the resurrection is powerful. And it has changed our lives. And so we thank you for that. God, I pray that would make a difference in the way we live our life tomorrow. It'd make a difference in the way we tell people about Jesus. And it doesn't matter if they look at us and call us foolish. Some will. 
but some who are being saved will recognize that's not for worship. That's a demonstration of the power of God on display. And so thank you, Christ. In Jesus' name.